Hey, y'all listening to the Smoke Meat Podcast. I'm your host, Brad Pittman. Today, we are brought to you once again by Joe's Underground at the corner of 8th and Broad in Augusta, Georgia. Go check out Joe's on Facebook right now, Joe's Underground. They've got some ass-kicking new t-shirts out there. Uh, you need to get you one, beat the rush, or get them while they still got them. Uh, they're at the corner of 8th and Broad in Augusta, Georgia. Great folks, great food, great drinks. I goes to Joe's and so should you. Today, I've got a special guest, a young man by the name of Maximilian Gordon, owns the Lion Man School of Rewilding. Uh, me and Maximilian, we talk a lot today about wild plants, about getting back to nature, about getting back to the old ways of doing things. Uh, it was just such an awesome talk. I mean, I, I can't even start to scratch the surface in this intro. So, here we go. We're just going to go on ahead and get, get this thing on the road. Hey, how you doing this morning, Maximilian? I am great. I'm great. Thanks so much for taking the time to reach out to me and and think that my information that I have to share today is is of value. Oh, it's, it's definitely valuable. Um, I know you got the Lion Man School of Rewilding. Uh, t- tell me a little bit about what rewilding is for the people out there that don't know. I'm fairly familiar. Yeah, so, I mean, I'm happy to hear that you are familiar. I mean, it's essentially, it's something that's been happening for a while. I think people who have found issues with our modern way of living and have questioned our systems of care, systems of agriculture, systems of all, all of our systems. You know, Einstein said that you can't solve a problem with the same level of thinking that got you into the problem in the first place. So rewilding different people for me it came to me from a man named daniel vitalis and he talks about rewilding yourself and both so it's it's a whole it's you're going through a whole series of things that essentially it's engaging you engaging your whole self with your with the ecology of your landscape uh so it's 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 a it's a self condition it's a reprogramming of yourself by yourself to yourself so it starts with yourself okay okay you know it's one thing now a lot of people you know i'm i'm not a spring chicken anymore you know i'm almost 50 and mm-hmm. i remember you know not so long ago you know when i was a kid you know we we did things a lot different now we didn't have all the technology we didn't have you know everything wasn't at our fingertips and you know, even even way before that, you know, people would go out and hunt. They would fish. You know, I grew up doing those things. They would garden. Uh, they were a lot more self-reliant and mm. understood, you know, okay, I've got a headache. I'm, this plant right here, it'll help cure it, you know. And a lot of people don't know willow bark, aspirin, <laughs> you know. Sure. Foxglove for heart problems, you know, things <laughs> like that. And, uh, yeah, I, I, I'm with you, you know, I'm with you, Brad. And, you know, to me, you know, I, I'm one of those people, if you don't remember your history, you're going to repeat it. Mm-hmm. Well, this is one of those things where we need to remember our history because, you know, this, this quarantine, if nothing else, has showed us that we're fragile mm-hmm. and we're depending on way too much stuff right now. And we need to get back to where, you know, we can, we can fend for ourselves and do what we need to do. Yeah. You know, I could take this in a lot of directions. Like things that coming up for me is uh, the word fragile. Mm-hmm. Um, one of my teachers, Arthur Haynes, talks about is a concept called hormesis or being anti-fragile. So when you have stress in your life, it makes you stronger instead of weaker. And so for this, I feel like this, this current situation with the corona it's made me stronger. At first, it scared me because, uh, and then, but then I looked at my fear, and I kind of faced it. What was my fear? And I went through the worst case scenarios. And and it's also, generally speaking, it's kind of reiterated and reinforced my trust in plants. You know, one of my teacher, one of 
my teachers, Stephen Duner, talks about things are totally, you know, things change forever when plants save your life. Yeah. yeah. So I believe, you know, it's, it's also, it's like, you know, what is, what is this virus teaching us? You know, what is the function of the ecological function of this virus? And, you know, there's things like in, in at least in the Northeast of United States of the United States, Lyme disease, there has been correlations with invasive plants and invasive uh, pathogenic organisms appearing in our ecosystem. So there's been re some research saying that six months before Lyme disease shows up in an area, you'll find a plant called Japanese knotweed showing up, which has extreme, one of the highest containing plants of plant compound called resveratrol which is extremely antibacterial and an antioxidant rich uh, compound mm -hmm. phytochemical or plant chemical and and you know once you start paying attention to that and queuing into that that really can help you another example is you know the cure being next to the poison is uh, poison ivy and you have spotted touch me not right next to it which has compounds so if you're touching you're touching poison ivy, you brush up on the bark, uh, excuse me, the, uh, well, the bark, because it is a, a perennial vine, the hairs or the leaves, which have oils that can cause um, dermatitis or itching or rashes. Mm -hmm. The spotted touch me not has compounds in its stem that when you rub it on your skin that has just been exposed can help remove those oils. So those are just two examples of things that when we start paying attention and queuing into our environment, our natural environment, we become stronger by the stress instead of weaker. So, Well, that's pretty cool about the poison ivy because I, I grew up in the woods and I've always been lucky. I'm, I'm not allergic to it. It doesn't really do much to me, mm -hmm. but I never knew about the other plant. That's pretty cool. Yeah, but what else I was thinking you were mentioning hormesis yeah I'm also just remembering you know anthropologically and archaeologically speaking our species homo sapiens sapiens you know the, the dates are always changing but in evolution if you believe in Darwinian evolution mm -hmm. and I'm not saying it's black I'm saying you know you could I have issues too with our modern forms of evolution. So, you know, kind of going against black and white, but according to that paradigm, well, our species is 300,000 years old, 300,000. Mm -hmm. So our genes, our genetic makeup, our genetic script remembers that. And so some of my other teachers talk about a new kind of, uh, paradigm called epigenetics mm -hmm. that I rose in the 70s from a researcher named Bruce Lipton out of Stanford University and he talks about you know just because you have just because you have a, a predisposition to certain cancers doesn't mean you're going to get the cancer and that doesn't necessarily mean we should go out and cut off our breasts because our parents had our mothers had breast cancer and in fact, that kind of doing that also increases your risk. But he talks about how your environment impacts your genome. So essentially, everything you do, every air molecule that you breathe, every plant, every food that you ingest, every molecule of water that you ingest, every smile that you smile has a positive impact on your genes by turning on certain genes that promote longevity and uh, antioxidant function and happiness function and the opposite is true too so the more we're exposed to chemical uh, foreign chemicals like ddt or glyphosate or air air pollutants there are more it's telling our genes to upregulate and open its door or open its door to certain things that can cascade and potentially cause the formation of cancer cells 
or things along those lines. Yeah, Does that make sense? It, it makes a lot of sense. You know, uh, don't know if Steve had told you a, a whole lot about me. You know, I've, I've been a paramedic for a long time and almost well, a little over four years ago, I had two strokes mm-hmm. and you're talking about the happiness and the, you know, it's basically the taking care of yourself by what you eat and things like that. I'm, I'm not the best eater in the world. You know, I mean, the name of my podcast is smoked meat for Pete's sake, but I've always been fairly happy. And I noticed after the strokes, you know, I didn't get a lot of aftercare. Basically I was told, Hey, here's you had strokes. Let's do some tests to find out what happened. And nobody could ever tell me. And basically I found things that would center me, you know, like learning to smoke meat learning to make sausage, things like that. And, uh, mm-hmm. and, you know, becoming self-reliant and mm-hmm. becoming happy. And mm-hmm. that's got me where I'm back on an ambulance today in the middle of all this stuff. So that's great, Brad. You know, I, I, I see exactly where you're going with that. And I, I believe in it. You know, I, I want to actually, that's, that is a myth that we also tell us. That's in my opinion. And some from the research I've seen is that, you know, saturated fat and uh, animal fats, animal protein can cause cancer. And I think in a balanced diet, it's totally okay, especially when you look at our talking about our evolutionary past as hunting and gathering and farming people. Yeah. Of course, meat meat was and animal fat was essential, especially prior to the uh, last glaciation maximum 12,000 years ago when plant foods weren't as available as they are today. We depended more on animal foods. In the archaeological record, uh, you'll see you know, low evidence of cancer. You'll see most almost no evidence of uh, dental decay or bone degeneration. So one of my teachers, Arthur Haynes, talks about, you know, when we hear about new things in the media, you know, like that we kind of use the lens of evolution mm-hmm. as our as our species evolution, a lens looking through the past and you filter it through the new information that you're encountering. It really makes sense. It really makes sense. And it helps to diagnose which things you might want to take seriously and which things you could pass by as just another fad. Yeah. You know? Yeah. You know, uh, and people kill me with a lot of these fads that are going on, you know, uh, the keto thing right now. Yeah. All of a sudden everybody's an expert. Um, they want to put their body into ketosis. Uh, it's, you know, I'm sure it's got its place or whatever to a point, but your body needs things and it needs carbs. I mean, that's just the way it is. And it doesn't need 90% fat, you know? And I think people are starting to realize this a little bit. You know, I'm, I I know people that have had great success with it. And I know people who have followed it to a T and went to the doctor and their cholesterol was ridiculous. The doctor said, get off of it. Now you're going to die. Yeah, I have a lot of problems. I believe, too, it's a, it is a fad. I know that in northern populations, traditional peoples, you know, Eskimos, I think that's more of like a derogatory word, but, you know, the Inuits, Alouettes, different mm-hmm. peoples in the very northern region who had limited access to plant foods, of course, developed, had genetic predisposition to use fat as fuel. Yeah. And um, I do love fat, you know, don't get me wrong. I love, you know, in my coffee coffee in the morning I'll, I'll blend in grass-fed butter and coconut oil and collagen and maple syrup for my landscape and um but my other my teacher like who i m- mentioned before arthur haynes talks about uh he has a video on youtube called plant foods of the paleo diet uh-huh. so there are a lot of myths that we tell ourselves about the paleo diet such as that we you know avoided salt or we evolved avoided traditionally avoided um uh, nightshades, things in the nightshade family. Mm-hmm. So when you look at traditional peoples living traditional diets throughout his throughout ar- the archaeological record and in today, when you start paying attention and queuing into your environment, to your plant environment, your animal environment, which are codependent on each other and are responsive to each other, you realize that there are so many different plant foods out there, wild plants and cultivated plants that offer us a tremendous value, not just calorically speaking, but also chemically speaking. Mm -hmm. So 
like talking about epigenetics before, when you start queuing in and eating more wild plants, which I want to get into with you, mm-hmm. you're telling yourself, you're telling your body, your spirit, if you will, hey, these are good for me. These things I remember genera- generations ago. Let's, you know, upregulate up, up, up everything that makes us feel good. And, um, yeah, these plants have all hosts of different chemicals. And so, you know, things like herbalism, getting into herbalism, we could also get into that. Mm-hmm. Those are essentially, rec- you're also essentially recreating our ancestral environment. So you're, by taking in and using herbs as medicine, you're getting a host of new plant compounds into your body. Mm-hmm. And that, you know, we, you know, we could use that as a substitute for, which I don't, I think is, let's, we call, we'll call it a substitute. We should call it, call it an intermediary su- substitute because I think what we, sh- I want to be moving towards is more of a, yes, incorporate that, but we're going to be moving towards a more self-reliant way of being in terms of we have a deep knowledge of our landscape, what's called nature literacy. So being nature literate, you know, who's growing in your backyard? Who's growing in the local forest? Who's growing in that wetland? Um, because in conservation today, so let me just get back up a second. Mm-hmm. Um, there are two, there, in the last, let's say, 150 years, we've had, we've had different uh, kind of conservation models. The, the one that has been predominant has been uh, the, uh, the Leave No Trace are you familiar with Leave No Trace? A little bit. So it's 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 a concept that's essentially talking about, hey, you pack in, pack out everything. Yeah, yeah. And the problem I have with that is that when you, depending on what you're packing in, you might not be causing harm to that environment where you're going into that that national park, but certainly that tent that you just bought or that industrial food that you just brought in had to come from somewhere so it was causing harm somewhere just not right in front of you hmm. that's just one thing but the, the, like the new paradigm is conservation through use or what my mentor likes to say reciprocal conservation so for example when we hunt we we are thinning the population because a lot of these animals are going to die anyway mm-hmm. And might as well that we get food from that and we become more self-reliant. Or with plant examples, for uh, the wild leeks, the wild ramps, we, which I'm sure people have heard about, we can increase the population of wild ramps by having a knowledge of how to interact with those plants mm-hmm. and harvest those plants. You know, we, we, we uh, so we can, you know, I could take that a little further, um, but let's just sit with that for for a second. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the um, I just went totally blank. The uh, man, no, you know, I'm talking about the hunt. I'm sorry, my mind just went blank on me this morning. Uh, didn't hunt a lot when I was small, you know. Mm-hmm. But I started when I was about sixteen, and I had friends who were the big trophy hunters and. They want the big rack on the wall. They want the big turkeys, you know, all this mm-hmm. stuff. And I've never been that way. You know, I don't mm-hmm. shoot babies because they need to grow some. I mean, that's that's how you're going to get, you know, they're going to procreate. But, you know, I've always learned if you kill something, you better respect it. You better use every piece of it that you can because that, that animal just gave its life for you, you know, and that's, there's nothing, what I say nothing, there's not a lot on an animal that can't be used when it's, when yeah. it's gone. Yeah. And a lot of people don't realize that. They just send a deer to the processor. I, I take care of it from the beginning to end. You know, I did a project with my daughter. She was in FFA a couple of years ago. Mm-hmm. And a friend of mine killed a wild hog and called me and said, do you want this hog? I said, sure. Yeah. I went and got <laughs> it, brought it home. Yep. Me and my daughter cleaned it. Yep. We uh, we butchered it. She ground it up. We made sausage. Uh, we cooked it, and it was called from the kill to the grill, and it went to state. Because I mean, we used every piece of that thing. Like my 
my uh, aunt used to say, from the rooter to the tutor, you know. But wait, say that again? And say my that aunt again. used to say, from the rooter to the tutor. From the rooter? What's the rooter? The nose. The rooter to the tutor. Okay. Yep. Okay, yeah. I'm, <laughs> I'm pretty new to, uh, that's great, Brad. I'm pretty new to uh, the hunting scene. I've done a lot of, like, scavenging mm-hmm. uh, for roadkill. Um, but I'm, I'm, you know, I'm working on it. I'm, that's a trajectory I'm working towards. Actually, just yesterday, we killed a... Um, I'm at a farm in southern Vermont practicing biodynamic farming, which I want to get into with you. Mm-hmm. Um, but we killed a um, a two-year-old male cow, a cross between a Wagyu and a Jersey cow. Man, mm-hmm. what a story that was. So uh, <laughs> this, this cow, it took five shots to the head to kill. It wouldn't. So we first used a pistol, didn't kill the cow. Then mm-hmm. we used a shotgun, didn't kill it. Finally, we used a, what is it, 30 out, 30 out 8? What is it? 30 out 6. That's, 30 that's out what I run with. And that, you know, that did the job, but, you know, yeah, so that yeah. did the job. And so we, afterwards, we went through the process of uh, butchering. And so, like you said, we used pretty much everything, you know. We used from the hooves to the intestines to the organs to the, the hide. Mm-hmm. You know, you can even take it further, you know, you know, using the bones for tools, the sinew. So, yeah, the Indians used to actually make the, that's what the middle of a dream catcher was, was um, animal sinew. Was it out of, I didn't, I didn't know that. Yeah, that's that's what the web on a dream catcher is. So I was, you know, that was an intense thing. That was kind of like the first time I've really been there. To, to kill. Yeah. And I think that's extremely natural. It, it is. And to me, it's a very, very personal thing because, you know, while it's not a human life, you're still taking a life. Yeah. It's a big life. You know, that cow was a big cow. Yeah. You know, that was a big life. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it's like I say, when I, when I kill something, I use everything because to me it's, that thing just gave its life for me. You know, I'm going to respect it enough to mm-hmm. not waste any of it that I have to, you know, that I don't have to because, I mean, just, man, you know, nature gives you what you need. And that's, that's my belief. You know, they every piece of that cow is edible for a reason. And what's not edible is useful. I love that. That is something that I think that, I, I want everybody to take away from today is that is that right there is that nature provides our mother provides our mother earth provides yeah. if we know how to pay attention and uh, we learn things and listen to our teachers who are still alive or read those books those what my my, my mentor calls uh, calls the uh, my human mentor calls uh, the the the, uh, the book elders mm-hmm. sometimes books act as elders just like those foxfire series or or book book elders you know yeah yeah um yeah the foxfire books if you haven't read them are amazing they are amazing i mean they tell you how to do everything the old way yeah uh, i mean they go from snake identification to building a smokehouse to you know, just about bathing a baby, just about. I mean, everything. <laughs> this, this guy went up into the mountains and he just talked to people. Yeah. And came away with so much. And, you know, I'm, I hate to say I'm what they call a prepper because the TV show made preppers look like idiots. Mm. I'm not the guy with the old nuclear silo. I don't have 10,000 years worth of food. Yeah. I'm not prepping for the government to come get me. If the government wants to come get Brad Pittman, guess who they're going to come get, whether I want them to or not? Oh, uh, yeah, They're of going to come get me. <laughs> and I understand that. I prep for things like this, like this virus, you know, yeah. like tornadoes, hurricanes, snow, things like that, real things. And, you know, my teacher, uh, excuse me, keep going. Oh, you're, you're good. Keep going. Good. My mentor, uh, one of my other teachers, Michael Douglas of the Maine Primitive Skills School, he talks about um, going from doomsday prepping to nature literacy. So, you know, going from survival to a sense of thriving. Yeah. You know, it's like, you know, you get lost. Like, he says, being lost, getting lost is like, uh, if you're only lost if you have a place to be and a time to be there. I like that. And 
like you said, nature provides. And if we know how to interact with the landscape again, you know, being lost is, is, is kind of a myth that we tell ourselves, is another kind of myth that we tell ourselves. And so if we can learn how to actually stay there and not call on that helicopter to come pick us up and bring us back to, to, to civilization, if you will, to the city, mm-hmm. like that's our new home. Yeah. So how do we go beyond survival into thriving in our natural landscape? And I think that's something that we're all kind of relearning in this new modern world, aren't we? We definitely are. And, uh, you know, going back to the hunting thing, um, you'll appreciate this. Uh, now, I know you said it took, you know, several shots to kill this cow. And I'm not doubting y'all by no stretch because, I mean, you took care of the cow. Um, if you can sit and study and learn a little bit more, you learn different ways. Like, I know that the cow's got a small brain. That's why it took so many shots to hit him. He probably wasn't hitting his brain. Yeah, pretty um, much. Like with a deer, a lot of people shoot for the chest. I don't because, one, that tears up a lot of meat. Mm. And, uh, two, it you hit a deer in the chest, the heart's gone. And yep. the heart's actually one of the best pieces of deer meat there is. <laughs> um, yep. I've, I've pickled it and I've smoked it. Oh, it's, it's phenomenal. You pickled it? Yeah, pickled it. That's cool. Yeah. Um, I, I preserve food all kind of different ways. I'll, I'll, um, like a lot of people do stew beef out of the deer meat that's left over. I'll take that same meat and I'll mm. can it mm. in like mason jars. That's great. And that's it lasts, great. lasts so long and it is, oh, it's amazing when it's done. Basically you cut it into cubes and pack your jar tight as you can, put a little salt in there if you want to, a little bouillon yeah. if you want to. Yeah. And, uh. Close up your jar, put it in your pressure canner on 15 pounds of pressure for 90 minutes. I love that, Brad. And that's I it. Love that. I love that. And it is it comes out just as tender and just wonderful. And it's got its own gravy with it too. So it's all natural. It's That's why I like making sausage. I know what's in there. Mm. You know, I don't use a lot of cure in a lot of my sausages like a lot of people do because it's... You know, it's funny to hear me say it because I'm, I'm almost 300 pounds and I smoke like a chimney. But, you know, I, I do kind of care about what I eat. And uh, when, when I do sauce, like pepperoni, I don't cure my pepperoni. Uh, pastrami, I have to cure because it's pastrami. But think, if I don't have to put the sodium nitrate in it, I don't because it's just it's so bad for you. Yeah, I've heard but, that. I haven't experienced that much yet, but I'm, I'm looking forward to getting to more into preserving and curing and smoking. You know, that's traditionally how you get through winter in northern temperate, you know, northern environments, you know? Yeah. Oh, we, we definitely gotta put, need gotta to. Put food. We got to put away food. Yeah, we, we have definitely got to do some talking. I can I can educate you for sure. Please, please. Let's 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 uh, let's connect on those points. And I'd love to share some plant things with you if you're receptive. Yeah. Hey, I, I look at it this way. I want to learn something every day. Because if I can't learn, uh, you might as well so, dead, huh? Yeah, something's wrong. You know? <laughs> but uh, now you were talking about the biodynamic farming a while ago. Yep. Tell yep. me a little bit about that. Yeah, great question. <clears throat> so it came out of the twenties. Uh, this uh, this man Rudolf Steiner from uh, Austria. He's a philosopher. Um, and he was into theosophy in the late 1800s and 1920s. He was asked by farmers who were noticing in Europe a, de- a degradation of uh, food quality, plant quality, animal quality, nutrition, essentially. They were asking him, you know, Mr. Steiner, how are we going to uh, how are we going to create healthier and more nutrient dense food? And he came up with lectures and I think it was 1924, this was uh, taking place in Germany, he came up with his famous agricultural lectures. And so today, in the United States, they have, it's really taken off, and across the world, in India, it's very big. And essentially, it is, the ultimate goal is to create nutrient-dense food, but we do that by interacting and feeding the soil, feeding comp- using compost, uh, working with the celestial bodies in terms of when do we know how, when to plant, when we know how to harvest, 
when we know how to seed things, work with fruit trees, work with plant crop, um, root crops. So it's reading into that. And it is a very much a spiritual agricultural way. And I think that's very important. I think that is a lesson that we can learn, we can take to all our, all of our fields. How do we integrate spirit back into matter? You know, how do we, you know, because it was, it was never like a separation of, uh, you know, uh, well, science really came about in the, uh, the scientific uh, revolution in the 1600s, 1500s in Europe was, uh, kind of looking at the church and saying, hey, you know, we, we want to question things differently. And we want to take things to another level. We want to discover new technologies. Mm-hmm. And I think that was extremely valuable for, our, for, human, for the human species. As you can see today, we have our computers, our iPhones, our, you know, a way of looking at the stars. But it's also, but it has, but, what we need, what we need to realize, I've, I've been realizing in that when we stepped away from God, we've divorced God. We've divorced a part of ourselves. Yeah. And biodynamics is one example, one amazing, constantly surprising example of a reintegration of spirit into our lives. And let me tell you, man, it can create amazing food. So I'm extremely grateful for learning about it. Mm-hmm. And I'm a new biodynamic farmer. I'm happy to say that. I'm a beginning, fa- I'm a first generation farmer, Brad. Nice. So, uh, of course, we can go into a lot uh, more uh, detail. And I'm happy to share some resources via email about uh, anything that we've talked about and you can look to those books or podcasts or or articles about any topics that we're talking about in your in your show notes so just yeah. uh, we could do that yeah I'm, I'm definitely gonna have have these links in my show notes and I mean because there, there's just so much good information on on everything that we're doing today and you know this is I, I could do this for hours um, yeah because, yeah. like I say, I'm, I'm a believer, you know, and, you know, obviously I believe in technology. I'm talking to someone that I had never met till a week ago over a computer in Vermont, and I'm in Georgia, and I'm instantly. recording this. We're so talking, we can, and we're talking instantly. Yeah, so, and I'm recording it so we can put it out to be available to literally every person in the world. <laughs> yeah. You know, so I love technology, but at the same time, you know, I'm, I'm a believer that we need to know the old ways of doing things. You know, we need to need to know what nature has to offer because I mean, let's face it. If things, things happen. I mean, I'm a worst case scenario person. You know, I don't know anybody. If you've heard of EMP or not, the electromagnetic pulse, uh, that hits, you know, bit from a solar flare or from a nuclear weapon or whatever. Um, Nothing we got now is going to work. Nope. You know, my car is not going to crank up. I'm not going to be able to go down to my job and get on my ambulance because, A, I can't get there. B, the ambulance ain't going to work either. Uh, Refrigeration's gone. So, I mean, you know, a lot of people don't understand, you know, yeah, you've you've just caught all these fish, but how are you going to keep them from going bad? I know how to build salt boxes. I know how to salt fish. I know how to smoke them. You know, I know how to can vegetables and, you know, dehydrate things. And, you know, we'll be all right. I mean, granted, yeah. it's, it's some work, yeah. but it is what it is, you know. Mm-hmm. And I'm with you, man. You know, when you look at in history, in prehistory, you know, the uh, what happened in North America 13,000 years ago, at the last glacial maximum, when the glaciers finally started to recede and disappear, mm-hmm. you'll see. You see in the, you'll see in the record, the geological record. Um, what happened was uh, some people were saying multiple comet impacts in Canada, or what's now Canada and Greenland. Yeah. 
Mm-hmm. And what happened because of that was massive flooding and possible tsunamis um, in the la- in the aftermath, which call- is called the Younger Dryas. Mm-hmm. Tsunamis and wildfire, fl- uh, wildfires. But, and actually, um, you'll see because of that instance in North America, some 100 plus species of megafauna. So megafauna are 100 kilogram plus mammals mm-hmm. went extinct from the wreck from our landscape forever you know the giant sloth the saber-toothed tiger mm-hmm. they disappeared completely almost overnight but guess who was around to tell the tale mm-hmm. they were the hunter hunting gathering and foraging foraging gardening collecting peoples even if they were somewhat, the populations were somewhat decimated, we were still able to succeed and repopulate. And even if we did lose stuff, we were still around, Brad. Yeah. And like you were saying, that is such a powerful example of just the, uh, you know, when, when we start chewing into our environment and learning things again and relearning and re-remembering, yeah, because you know, I, open up a whole nother can of worms, a whole nother possibility. Yeah, because I don't know if you, if when this thing first started, you know, I, my my wife was at work and she was before the quarantines and everything. Uh, my daughter is going to be a senior next year, and she was going to take prom pictures at at our house in, near Augusta. Mm-hmm. So I took my daughter to her job so that she wouldn't have to drive all the way up here and then drive all the way back down there, and uh, basically made it easier. And I stopped by the grocery store on the way home. It's when people were first starting to do what I call panic prepping, you know, yep. buying all the bread and water. And uh, I just stopped by a little grocery store on the way home. And someone would get some hot dogs or pizza or something. And I went in and got my hot dogs. And I actually stayed there for about an hour just watching people. was so amazed. And, you know, I, I, I almost went to just find something so benign, something just totally useless, and put about 10 of them in a basket and walk around just to see if everybody went to get that. Because nobody knew, it was just, everybody was just panicking, buying whatever they needed or what they didn't need. Yeah. I, I still, I've, I've got a theory on the toilet paper, and you'll like this. The toilet paper and the hand sanitizer was the first thing to go, Right. Uh, I actually did a video. I woke up one morning. It was still dark. I got dressed in the dark. So on the video, my shirt's on inside out and backwards. And uh, I took a square of toilet paper and squirted hand sanitizer on it and started around in a little ramekin until it was a paste. I said, here's my theory. People are doing this and making redneck Vicks. And I took some of it and rubbed it on my chest and on my upper lip. So they think that's going to cure the disease. But I, I still don't know why everybody's having a, a fit over toilet paper. Because I've dealt with COVID and I haven't seen anybody that's just having uncontrolled bowels with it. But You know, um, I know we're kind of probably getting to the end here, but uh, I've been listening to, listened to recently a podcast with a, a trauma expert. Mm-hmm. Uh, Dr. Gabor Mate talks about um, what trauma, you know, trauma as a root cause of many diseases. Yeah. PTSD. And what he's talking about in relation to to the coronavirus and trauma is interesting. You know, people with trauma, PTSD, have lower immune uh, function. Mm -hmm. And also, this coronavirus has kind of, you know, what he liked to talk about, he said, uh, society likes to distract us distract us from ourselves so with all the uh distractions we rarely take the time to be quiet and present with ourselves and uh, what this is doing you know it's it's taking away the distractions so we see ourselves and we we can we see those feelings again of uh that are reminiscent of trauma that could be yeah and what he recommends is that You know, facing those feelings, you know, instead of running away from that fear or that anger that's coming up, which has come up for me, that we kind of face the darkness 
and that heavy energy because eventually it will turn. It will turn. And, uh, you know, I, I, I definitely think that trauma is something that we need to look at within ourselves because it definitely impairs our ability to be human, uh, fully functioning human beings. You know, looking at hunter-gatherers again, you rarely see evidences. Well, I mean, you, you could see, you know, there's a researcher, Steven Pinker. He talks about that today is the safest time in human history. And I have issues with that. Yeah, big time. Because, you know, in our, in our past, you would have, you know, you might have had trauma from a hunting injury or um, some trauma, physical trauma. But you rarely saw any of the uh, interpersonal trauma. Or at least if you did, you would have some uh, resolve over it. Yeah. Some um, the tension was released. And, you know, when you, there's a book called uh, Why Zebras Don't Get Ulcers. is because, uh, you know, when, they, when, when lions are hunting them, you see in the African savannas that, let's say, the, the lion misses mm-hmm. and the zebra runs away. It will shake. It literally shakes its body free of that tra- potential trauma. And even if that lion catches that antelope or that zebra, right before that, that animal dies, it shakes. Hmm. And that is interacting with your nervous system, certain aspects of your nervous system, and releasing that trauma. Hmm. And I think that is an extremely important aspect of today of how we can take control of our health again is how do we release that trauma and face that trauma and release it and let, as some people have said, the earth accepts that heavy energy. How do we compost, if you will, that heavy trauma, that, that energy that is no longer of use for us. It was useful when we were in those potentially traumatic experiences because it kept Mm -hmm. us alive and it's no longer of use anymore. Yeah, well, you know what? How do we? Really... Oh, go ahead. No, no, I'm, that's pretty much it. What I had to say. Uh, I, I don't know if you know this or not, but I'm actually one of the poster children for PTSD. Um, as as a medic for almost thirty years. Uh, after I had the strokes, I, was, I had to sit at home for four months and basically mm. just not work. Mm. And that brought a lot of it up to the surface, you know. And it wasn't one traumatic event for me. It was. Okay, this call was a drop in the bucket, and each drop filled that bucket a little more till it overflowed. Yeah, man. And I still have things that result from that. You know, I have, you know, part of it's from the strokes and part of it's from the PTSD. You know, I have a stutter that comes back, which is great when you're a podcaster, let me tell you. <laughs> um, I actually sound like the water boy a little bit when I stutter, the way mine is. <laughs> um, I would do it for you, but if it, sometimes when I do it, it sticks, and that's really bad. Yeah, it's okay, man. But, uh, it's okay. But I have days where I cry all day long. I have days where there's just rage inside of me, mm-hmm. where I don't act on it, because I'm I'm a big guy. I know I can hurt people, so I don't act on it. But just these things, you know, and I've, there's there's not just one trigger. That's the bad part. Mm-hmm. But you know, doing things like the the process and the meat doing these podcasts. I'm loving these podcasts. Um, getting on stage as a stand-up, doing my character videos. Uh-huh. Uh, those kind of things. I love doing and that helps a lot mm-hmm. because, you know, getting back on an ambulance, the bucket's still getting full. Mm-hmm. But I'm learning new ways to, to empty that bucket. Why, why is that? Why are those things that are helpful, like the podcast, why are those, why are those helpful to you? How, well, why? It's just kind of a release. It gets my mind off of everything. It don't doesn't bury anything, but it, you know, helps me to understand that there's more out there than my job. Mm-hmm. You know, while bad things happen, I have been blessed with, you know, I'm not going to say I've got the ability to heal. You know, I'm, I'm a tool. And I've been given the, the brain and the, the talents to, to do what I need to do to help people heal. And to be there in their bad situation where I may have seen, you know, 10,000 car wrecks. This may be their first one. Yeah. And no matter how bad it is, I've got to 
be the guy that looks calm. Well, on the inside, I'm going, holy crap, you know, yeah. and, and that that can take its toll. You know, to sit and watch. You know, I've I've watched people take their first breath in this world. I've delivered 18 babies, and I've watched countless people take their last one. You know, and that's everything in between. And it adds up and it takes a toll. But, you know, you, you find these releases. And uh, I, I don't know, um, my, my video channels on YouTube is mm -hmm. Brad's Comedy, all one word. Uh, it's actually got all of my podcasts are on it also. Um, mm -hmm. It's got some character videos that I do. Mm -hmm. uh, has all my stand-up on it. Just things like that. And that's a great release for me because I know that I'm making a positive impact on people. Uh, and I'm just, I'm letting things out. You know, I've got one, one character who's a clown. But he is the absolute worst clown in the world. His name's Murray. And he talks like this. And I, oh, Murray is horrible, but he is so great at the same time because he is such a release and so much fun to do. Mm. Um, actually, around December, I filmed a 30-minute Christmas special with four of my characters. You know, and uh, it's just fun. And it, it helps release a lot of this stuff. Um, another thing that I did for the PTSD and the stroke symptoms, uh, a lot of people are talking about CBD now. Mm. And I actually found a brand that has absolutely no THC in it. And I tried it, and I tell you, that stuff is a game changer. Um, I had read stories about what all it does, and man, <laughs> it, it stopped my stutter one day when it had come on really hard, and there was no getting rid of it, because sometimes I can fight it and get rid of it, but there was no fighting it that day. And it was the first day I actually went and got it, and I vaped it. And within 20 minutes, I was talking just like we are now. No problem, no high, no nothing, just the good pieces. And, you know, that's a plant. And it's a wonderful thing. So, I mean, it goes to show, you know, nature gives you what you need. Yeah, when you need it, yeah? When you need it. Yeah. You know, I like spinach. You know, when I was a kid, I hated spinach. Now, I, it's not my favorite thing. And it's hit or miss. Spinach will actually give you kidney stones. And... There are times I could eat one bite of it and get kidney stones. Other times I could eat 10 pounds of it and not have any problems. But I get on my wife's nerves because I'll start craving it. And the craving actually gets so bad, I'm like, look, I'll risk the kidney stones. And I found out it's because my body needs magnesium. And the spinach has it. And my body knows that and says, let's have spinach. You know, and it's it's... With anything you know you're craving, your body knows, okay, this has got that in it. We need to get some of that. So, yeah, it's only, you know, it's funny, you know, you kind of get kidney stones when, or you get disease when you're out of balance. You yeah. Know? So, I mean, it's, it's like, it's, it's easy, you know, it's easy, you know, we can blame, we can blame, you know, well, I mean, lots of things have oxalic. It's called, uh, it's what happened, it's oxalic acid. Mm -hmm. So, oxalates that can cause kidney stones. But it's found in chocolate. It's found in tons of things. But uh, apparently, if you eat a lot of fish, um, high, having a high omega three proportion in your diet mm -hmm. protects against uh, kidney stones. Hmm. I have to remember that because fish is funny in our house. We all like fish, and I would eat it five days out of the week. You know, I love fish. Yeah. Um, my wife and daughters like it, but they don't like the idea of having it for supper. You know, so if we have it, it's just one of those things that got to kind of spring on them, and they love it, and they eat it. But if you say, hey, you want fish tonight? It's kind of like, no. <laughs> but, uh, no, I love it. Um, I'll tell you, here's, here's a good fishing story you'll like. Uh, my, other, my land that I own near Augusta, I have a pond on it. And it's got catfish and bass and brim in there. And I had a friend over one day, and he brought his girlfriend with him. And we caught catfish. And she said, I've never had catfish before. So we took a big one that we had caught out of our bucket, took it straight up to my cook shack. While I heated up my flat top griddle, he filleted it. And 
he handed me one side of the filet and I put it on the griddle with a little bit of lemon pepper and the other side of the fish was actually still moving while I was cooking one side of it. It was that fresh. Yeah. But, oh man, it was so that good. Sounds, that sounds good, man. Oh, it was amazing. It's the freshest fish I've ever had, literally. I mean, I've, I've never cooked some while the other part of it was moving. And it, it was so good. And like I say, I, I knew exactly what was in it because I cooked it, I caught it, I harvested it, we cleaned it, and boom, right there. So there was nothing really bad for me in it. But, but man, I tell you, I could I could talk about this stuff all day long, but I know you got some stuff to do. Um, yes, sir. I'm definitely going to put these links in my show notes, and I've had a ball talking today. You're welcome on here anytime. I mean, we'll, we'll go over anything. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's yeah. no telling what I'll talk about. I mean, I'm liable to come on one day and just start talking about Bigfoot. I mean, you name it, I talk about it. Great. Yeah, let's uh, let's digest this all, and I'm sure we've mm-hmm. talked about a lot, and I'm sure there's still lots more to talk about. Definitely, yeah. definitely. Yeah, you're I welcome. appreciate you having me on, Brad. Oh, man, I've, I've had a great time. and uh, Everybody, this has been Smoke Meat. And it's Maximilian Gordon. Uh, like I say he is. Um, actually, it's it's, uh, it's I actually go by Lion Man. Yeah, I was, I was fixing to say Lion Man School of Rewilding. I'm going to put the links and everything in my show notes. Y'all, please make sure you go to him, visit him, uh, take advantage of anything he's got to offer. Because I mean, he's this is not just this is barely scratching the surface. Yeah, but I just released uh, today. The, I released a, an online course about. Uh, an introduction to wild plant foraging for plant foods, plant medicines, and other uses for plants, wild plants. And uh, it's it's about four hours of content, mm-hmm. tons uh, full of videos and articles. And I'm only I'm only charging five dollars. Sweet, because this is a beginning. This is uh, yeah. I I put the last like seven or eight years of my research into this. Mm-hmm. And I really want to get people to get people this information, and I hope it really reaches and resonates with them in their internal core. And I really would like to see the feedback and how I can make it better. And I want to reach as many people as possible in the most authentic way. And uh, because I believe it's extremely important information, and I believe that um, the teachers that I've had have kind of given me the task if you will, of uh, bringing this to the people. So I'm bringing this to the people, Brad, and uh, I'm really hoping that people receive it well. I believe they will because, I, like I say, I've, I've had a great time talking and I'm sure everybody's having a great time listening. And uh, it's been Smoke Meat. Everybody go to these links, man, and y'all make sure y'all subscribe and share. And we're going to definitely have more with Lion Man here coming up. Uh, beautiful, man. <laughs>